Welcome to the Purpose Driven Educator Podcast, a show that explores what motivates educators to do their life's work. Here's your host, Dr. Jeffrey Miller. Well, welcome back to the show. I'm so glad you joined us for this episode. If you haven't already done so, we'd appreciate if you would subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. As always, your support is greatly appreciated. Well, for today's episode, I want to get into the topic of literacy. And for many of you, the idea of not being able to read is something that never enters your mind. But for many Americans, that is a real situation that they have to deal with on a daily basis. In a recent report, uh, one in five adults in the North Texas region cannot read. That means that nearly 800,000 adults in Dallas County alone are struggling with literacy. And that number is expected to grow to more than 1 million by the year 2030. This is a problem that impacts all citizens in one way or another, especially our economy. According to ProLiteracy.org, increased access and funding for adult literacy education resources and a change in public policy, including increased participation of the private sector in adult literacy education will directly impact all Americans by contributing to a healthy economy through increased employment and reduced public assistance. Well, my guest in today's episode is the Literacy Instruction for Texas, or LIFT, President and CEO, Dr. Linda Johnson. Dr. Johnson has over 20 years of nonprofit management experience with educational and arts-based nonprofit organizations. Dr. Johnson joined LIFT in 2017 from Dallas Independent School District, where she served as the Executive Director of College and Career Readiness Programs. In her work with LIFT, she strives to enhance the lives and strengthen communities by teaching adults to read. More specifically, LIFT is reaching into the neighborhoods where people live, work, and worship to teach adults to read and thereby increasing access to employment, reducing reliance on social services, and improving the quality of life for many students and their families across Texas. During this episode, Dr. Johnson sheds light on the growing adult literacy problem in Texas and explains how education policy and practice have been utilized to address the current situation. She also discusses the strategies and resources her organization, LIFT, deploys to address adult literacy and strengthen the communities across the state through advocacy and partnership. Let's join the conversation. Part of the issue that I really wanted to discuss as well, because there's a lot of interesting ramifications for the lack of, uh, for what happens to students who are not best served by their educations hmm. and what really happens to them after 12th grade. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very eye-opening. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, we're, we're all focused on college and career readiness and everything, and then we're seeing the cases where they're not. So is that sort of the lane that you're, you're working in where they're adults yeah. now and, you know, they're struggling to, to, to read and, and, and find employment? Yes. So uh, here's the issue. Um, 
you know, there's been a lot of research, as you well know, mm -hmm. that if students aren't reading on grade level by third grade, that it's very difficult for them to make that up. Mm -hmm. And that oftentimes there are uh, really serious and disastrous correlations between that and poverty, that and the possibility that they're going to end up incarcerated. Um, but, you know, there's there's just a number of really uh, there's just so much research based on reality that that inability to read by the third grade really affects so many students. And so, of course, from a policy perspective. What we've done throughout the state and through many districts and in different parts of the country is really focused on early childhood education because if we can at least make up for some of the um, uh, lack of certain skills or abilities that students bring with them by the time they get to kindergarten, um, then that K-2 space, mm -hmm. uh, we can actually make sure that they're going to be closer to being on, on reading on grade level by third grade. Mm -hmm. And those are very, very expensive um, kinds of interventions. Um, they, across the country, the kinds of things that have been put in and in Texas by different districts are things like full day fourth grade, excuse me, full day four-year-old programs, um, maybe full day three-year-old programs. Um, and then there's a lot of not just putting them in some kind of a daycare situation, but really a quality childcare situation where they're starting to acquire some of those preliterate skills, mm -hmm. um, which have more to do than just being focused um, on exposing them to vocabulary, although that's important. Uh, they're actually reading is not a simple exercises, mm -hmm. as you well know in some of the studies that you've done uh, working towards your doctorate. Uh, but it's not just vocabulary mm -hmm. and exposure to vocabulary. It has a lot to do with um, the different kinds of processing skills that you have in your brain, both mm -hmm. for motion and your eyes moving and your ability to process uh, different kinds of symbols. Um, and when you couple that with the fact that about 15% of the population has some kind of a learning difference, mm -hmm. including things like dyslexia, um, those require a different way of learning and processing uh, because their brains just work differently. That's mm -hmm. basically it. Um, so what's interesting is that the district that I worked in uh, for 10 years was the Dallas ISD, as you know. And in the Dallas ISD, the goal is for is to get 60% of students reading on grade level by third grade. Mm -hmm. In the state, the state is working toward that goal. The state of Texas is working toward that goal as well. Well, here's how I hear that now, mm -hmm. <laughs> working in the adult education um, side of things, where, where basically I feel like I'm still working for school districts, mm -hmm. um, but for people well past um, high school. Mm -hmm. um, that lack of, when I hear 60% reading on grade level as the goal, mm -hmm. what I actually hear now is 40% of people not reading on grade exactly. level, 40% of students not reading on grade level. And again, some of those make it up be before they actually exit the school system, mm -hmm. but a, a seriously high number and high percent of those students don't change. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, as we know, there's accommodations made, which are fine, um, but there's sometimes different decisions that are made that allow them to really complete their high school diploma. Maybe they still cannot read at a level where they're going to be able to work successfully. Um, 
there's a lot of issues. So let's first pin that and go back to what what is adult education in this country? Mm-hmm. Um, adult education in this country is delivered primarily through community college systems throughout the country because they offer ESL classes and uh, high school equivalency, what more commonly is called GED prep, but GED is only one of different high school equivalency exams. In the state of Texas, students can take three different high school equivalency exams, the GED, the TASC, or the HISET. Um, so those are the three major ones throughout this country. And so the whole issue is called high school equivalency preparation for uh, exams. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at LIFT, uh, Literacy Instruction for Texas, we actually have a low literacy program for students who have learning differences that's been adapted from the Shelton School's internationally recognized curriculum for students, especially students with dyslexia, because that 40% or whatever portion that can't read on grade level by third grade that still is not a competent reader when they leave the K-12 system, that, you know, accrues every single year. (laughs) So there are literally tens of thousands of adults every year who are offset into the real world um, without the skills to be able to read, which means they're not going to be able to participate in job training. Um, the correlation, if for those students who drop out, the correlation between not having a high school diploma and poverty is actually a very direct correlation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of things that happen. And if we just talk about Dallas County for one minute and how the accretion of all of that over the years. In Dallas County, 25% of the population in Dallas County does not have a high school diploma. 20%? That's 25%. That's 25% is a small number. So Mm -hmm. let me tell you what that actually represents. 349,000 adults, 25 years of age and older. Wow. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. If we just look at the city of Dallas, it's 22%. Um, this is based on the 2017 American Community Survey data. It's 201,000 adults age 25 years or older. Wow. And it's that's just one county um, in this country. Mm-hmm. So there's this becomes a huge policy issue, especially as um, it pertains to economic development. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, one of the things you and I have always talked about, it's really not a choice between college and career. Mm-hmm. People do not choose, unless they're an academic, to go to college the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Parents don't say, I hope my child stays in college the rest of their life. They really want them to go to college as a means to an end. And that ends in this country has always been from a public policy perspective, from the way our country was founded, is that every able adult American would work. Mm-hmm. And our economy is built on that concept, and it still is built on that concept. So it's really a college to career. You know, it's a means to an end. And the mm-hmm. ends in this country has always been careers, jobs, whatever you want to call it. Um, so it's not a choice between them. It's actually the ultimate choice is how are people going to be able to fully participate in the economic benefits of being an American in the kind of economy that we've chosen. Mm-hmm. So in, in doing that, I mean, so do you have partnerships and work with workforce and, and, and some of your programming and support? Like, how do you actually um, 
uh, mobilize resources to to impact that that literacy number? Well, a great question. Uh, and that is what's interesting about that is that the money to fund most of adult education in this country actually comes through the Department of Labor. Mm-hmm. There are some funds that come from the Department of Education, but they're they're very, very limited funding, very small funding. I mean, less than $50 million a year for the whole country. Mm-hmm. So most of the money comes from the Department of Labor for adult education. And adult education actually has national literacy standards um, that uh, are become the equivalent of there's grade level equivalents for different levels of adult literacy standards mm-hmm. and the standards in the state of Texas for adult literacy actually align with the national standards for adult literacy. So just like there's standards in the K-12 system for um, obviously where students need to be on grade level for each level within every state has standards. Um, there's, there's also assessments and there's assessments in the adult education world as well. Um, some of them, uh, CASAS is one. Another one that's probably one of the most popular ones is called the Test of Adult Basic Education, or the TABE, or we call it the TABE. Mm-hmm. And so the TABE is a pre-assessment and post-assessment to, to look and see how students in adult education make sure we place them in the appropriate level when they come in and make sure that um, they've made appropriate gains at the end of any kind of a session. Um, the two largest programs for adult literacy see in this country are English as a second language and also um, some kind of high school equivalency preparation programs. Um, Lyft is one of the few places that has a very, very low uh, program for very, very low literate adults, adults who read at less than a second grade level. Mm. Um, And what would be shocking, I think most people don't realize this, but there have been for many decades throughout this country Um, groups of people who have been what we call socially promoted through school. So a number of our students in the low literacy program actually have high school diplomas Hmm. and they still can't read at a second or third grade level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so our program really gets them to about a fourth grade level and then our GED prep doesn't start in high school level. Most GED prep is at a upper middle school, upper elementary to middle school level in this country. Because think about it, the people who drop out, generally that happens between 7th and 10th grade. When you drop out, you're usually behind, you're over age at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And you're over age because you won't read any grade level in third grade. Mm-hmm. And so you really aren't, if you drop out in ninth grade at 16, you're not necessarily at a ninth grade level. You're probably more at a upper middle, upper elementary or middle school level. And so GED prep doesn't start in 11th or 10th grade. It really starts through to those lowest levels. Um, and it's just part of the reality of what happens with those 40 or whatever percent in any state mm-hmm. of students who actually aren't able to read on grade level when mm-hmm. they leave that system. I mean, and we're talking about decades of their lives, not just the grade levels, you know, between kindergarten and 12th grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's sort of a compound effect. You see this uh, years and years of uh, slipping through the cracks of the system uh, yeah. and then... And then we get to that point where they're out of school. Now all the resources are gone. Uh, how do yeah. how do they get back to where they need to be? So tell me, where is the? So you you mentioned Dallas County. So is your work focused on Dallas County as a whole, or 
or do you go beyond this this area? <laughs> we um, we're looking at like different ways to expand. Actually, probably even beyond Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as I said in um, the program that we have, this the low literacy program actually is a program that uh, really doesn't exist in this country for learning different types of uh, students. And so working with the Shelton School, we've spent the last six years adapting their curriculum. And now uh, for the past year, we've had published curriculum um, at four different levels. And each each of those levels uh, is 25 lessons. So it takes a little over a year for a student coming twice a week for two hours a session to actually finish that program. Um, and some students may repeat portions of it just to make sure that they, they really have mastered that section of it. So we're talking to Shelton School now about ways that we could begin to expand that program across the country mm-hmm. because we know that the population of adults, especially adults who are, we, we have students in their 90s, um, from 18 to, to 90s, mm. um, if they were in school decades just a couple decades ago, we didn't necessarily assess for learning differences that entire time period. Mm -hmm. So there weren't assessments for dyslexia Mm -hmm. when many of these people were in school. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's been added to that is they think they're stupid. They're not Mm -hmm. stupid. They just need to be able to learn in a way that actually puts together the information for them and allows them to process the information in a way that allows them to learn how to read. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's a brain function. So you, so you have actually, you know, coursework and then you have classes. So do you actually sponsor, right. um, you know, community members to come in and actually, um, take classes, uh, for literacy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We serve about 2000, uh, adult students each year at Lyft. Um, the, as I said, the community colleges really serve, uh, the largest, audiences across the country, mm-hmm. um, community colleges, the community college system in Dallas serves somewhere around maybe 8,000 adults a year in mm-hmm. its either ESL or uh, high school equivalency prep programs. Um, another thing, libraries across, obviously across the country and mm-hmm. in counties throughout Texas have different programs. There's the possibility of taking ESL or GED prep, um, high school equivalency prep in the public in many public libraries across the country. Um, so that's probably the next biggest group, um, maybe serving um, several thousand a year. For the rest of adult literacy is actually delivered through thousands of nonprofit organizations somewhere to live. Mm-hmm. Um, in Dallas County, we've got the Wilkinson Center. We've got the Literacy Achieves. We have the Aberg Center for Literacy are some of the larger nonprofits. But then churches have programs. Temples have programs. Uh, there are community groups that have programs, generally serving far fewer students. So for Lyft as a nonprofit to be serving approximately 2,000 students a year actually is, is a pretty large nonprofit in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to revisit your question about job prep because I kind of started yes. to answer that um, mm-hmm. at the Department of Labor. But the goal really is to try to, just like the goal for most public school districts, is to ensure that if it's a public school district like many of the ones in urban environments, um, Garland, Dallas, um, serves a higher uh, proportional amount of students to live in poverty, 
part of the goal is to provide for them education and skill, career skill development that allows them to lift themselves out of poverty, um, ways to get them into career education programs at a level where they actually perhaps can earn certifications for entry-level work while they're still in high school. Um, what's important about that is that that goes hand-in-hand hand with their ability, obviously, to read at the level that that instruction is given, which is usually a minimum of fifth or sixth grade level. Oftentimes it can be 11th or 12th grade level or higher, and depending on the program, as, as you well know. Mm-hmm. Um, so what it's called in the adult education world is Integrated Education and Training, or IET. Um, and there are a number of programs supported by across states and different state grants and um, from the Department of Labor. And there are standards for IET, um, national standards for what qualifies as a quality IET kind of program so that you're coupling when the student is getting to the level that they need to be at to receive the training. For some students, that may take a couple of months. For some students, that may take longer. Um, But when they get to the level where they're reading competently or can do math competently, then we can integrate a training program with a number of different organizations um, that provide it. Community colleges provide some of that training with certification programs. Um, It's provided by uh, some private organizations. In uh, Dallas County, there's an organization called City Square, and City Square has a work paths program that has uh, two different uh, skill development and workforce skill development programs, one in culinary arts and the other one in construction, in all areas of construction. Um, Ready to Work is another organization that has been around for several decades in Dallas County that actually uh, provides uh, training for students who want to get their professional industrial truck um, or forklift certification, and those entry-level jobs are paying $13 to $15 an hour in Dallas County right now. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a, above a minimum above a minimum level uh, living wage, which mm-hmm. is somewhere around $11 to $12 an hour, mm-hmm. um, depending on the size of your family um, in Dallas County. Um, so the goal is, is similar to a lot of urban school districts is to be able to either employ or more fully employ the adults that we serve. Um, there's also a portion of adults that we serve who are on disability or who have already retired. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not, they've already done their time and now they want to learn to read. They want to be able to help their children or grandchildren um, in programs, depending on whether they're on disability or um, have retired. Um, they want to participate more fully with their faith organizations. Um, so there's there's a lot of different motivations for why somebody chooses to, to get these programs. Programs are pretty affordable, mm-hmm. actually, Jeff. Um, at Lyft, we only charge $25 for a 12 to 15 week session. I was going to ask about that. For, That's good. That pays for the student mm-hmm. workbook. So mm-hmm. we as a nonprofit raise the money from foundations and corporations um, who are interested in, in this issue of literacy. Um, and uh, very involved with Policy, getting back to the topic mm-hmm. for today, um, the city of Dallas has uh, the Mayor's Task Force on Poverty that has been in existence for several years under Mayor Rollins. And a subgroup of that was started about a year and a half ago called the Human and Social Needs Committee. And um, 
uh, city council member Casey Thomas is actually the council member over that committee, and I'm a member of the public policy subcommittee of the Human and Social Needs. Uh-huh. And the work that we've been doing for the past year is to really look at creating what is called inclusive economy public policy recommendations for the city to um, consider uh, adopting. And this whole idea of an inclusive economy is going to sound very familiar to you. Mm -hmm. It's actually a a concept that was um, first really brought up by, um, majorly in this country, by the Rockefeller Foundation. Um, They uh, have been looking at different kinds of grants uh, on sustainability and other issues that they have provided across the country. The Brookings Institution has done quite a bit of research on this. There are a lot of actually international kinds of initiatives as well. But if I, if I guess the simplest way to describe it is that if an economic development, traditionally it's seen as a way to kind of polish a community's assets to attract new businesses into a community. That's one of the major functions that, that it fulfills. Um, in an inclusive economy, public policy perspective, and, and I, I really hate to make this, uh, <laughs> to equate this, but in essence, the, some of the assets in the community are actually its human beings and the human capital that it has. Mm-hmm. And so inclusive economy looks at ways that you look at the adult working ability to work population and say, how can we develop those assets through training, through adult education programs? Um, How do we find ways to be able to develop that as an asset within our community? Hmm. So this concept is actually one that has been growing over the past three to five years in the country in different communities and is uh, really being embraced in Dallas, in the city of Dallas right now. The Economic Development Department actually is in the process of creating a strategic plan, and they have hired uh, consultants, uh, Angelou, um, that's based here in Texas, a consulting firm, to help them craft uh, economic development policy. And part of that has included discussion groups with organizations like Lyft and other organizations that serve various aspects of this kind of disenfranchised part of the population um, to look at ways that we can deliver services that allow them a path to build a pathway, again, to either employability or to um, to be able to increase their opportunity to earn more money. Mm-hmm. So these, these affect real-life human beings yeah. um, that live in our community who sometimes don't even know these programs actually exist. There's very, very low awareness in the community that these kinds of very low-cost or no-cost programs exist. Um, And as you know, I mean, these are the working poor in this country. Mm -hmm. And the working poor in this country don't sit back and just collect benefits. Oftentimes they're working two or three jobs, Mm -hmm. jobs that don't give them any kind of consistent hours or schedules where transportation is important, the jobs are not close to them, there may not be public transportation, childcare is important, where they live, affordable housing is important. These are all interrelated issues. Um, And certainly adult low literacy um, is an issue that is both a driver of poverty, but it's also a root cause of poverty. Because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without the ability to read, as I said, the correlation to poverty is extraordinarily high. 
That's true. What about some of your work you're doing with um, with our non-English speaking community? I know that in Dallas mm-hmm. County, in particular, um, mm-hmm. you know we have a, a significant number of um, uh, non-English speaking families in our K twelve system, and many of them, um, you know, the students may go on and, and learn English or may go on to to pursue other things, but their parents uh, are not English mm-hmm. speakers, and so. Well, how have your has your organization been able to work in supporting our English non English speaking communities? Well, I think in two significant ways. So, one thing that we've done at Lyft is we ha- we've worked with school districts to provide ESL classes. I would say primarily in elementary schools mm-hmm. um, because there's, as you know, a higher level of parent engagement. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, in elementary school than later on, although. It's really important in middle school and high school mm-hmm. for parents to be involved. Um, and so, and also uh, elementary schools tend to be larger and have classrooms. Um, adult education, while there are certain one-on-one tutoring uh, tutoring that goes on between adults, um, research has shown that the best delivery system for adult education is actually in the classroom setting mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, um, the only other alternative, generally speaking, is going to be online, and a lot of this uh, population doesn't have access to mm-hmm. computers mm-hmm. or necessarily to online abilities or a lot of experience doing that. Um, but the other thing that happens in our adult literacy classrooms across this country is that the adults in those classrooms actually become a support system for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, just like the first day of college where every college freshman thinks they're the only one or the first day of kindergarten where, you know, everybody's nervous because they think they're the only one that's nervous. People who enter adult education courses think maybe I'm the only one that has this issue when they discover there are literally hundreds of thousands of people, Mm -hmm. sadly, who have the same issues, Mm -hmm. they absolutely can start to become a support system for each other and encouragement for each other um, to to really practice and learn these skills. So we have courses for people to actually come, public courses uh, across all communities that adults can enroll in, but also courses um, where if there are, generally speaking, at least three or four classrooms, because there are, these adults are usually on different levels, we actually contract with a school district to provide those services for the adults while the students are in school. Mm-hmm. Um, the advantage is that because transportation is such an issue for them, obviously their public school is generally something that is accessible to them that mm-hmm. they can either walk to or get to somehow. Um, <clears throat> If they have the availability during the day, usually, but there can be night classes as well, um, you know, to be there with their students. And maybe they have a commitment to to also be volunteering at the school. So those work pretty well in the in the elementary schools. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously, you know, Garland's interested in that and you're not contracting mm-hmm. with someone. We'd love to talk to you about that as well. Exactly. Um, so those are those are two significant ways that most adults are reached, either through in school programs or through just accessing the programs that exist in their community. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's fascinating um, that it's so easy for an organization like Lyft, who's been doing this work as you say for over fifty years, um, sort of go under the radar for a lot of the. Educators in in K twelve, you know, because yeah. a lot of times what we're trying to do is uh, provide as many services to our students and their families as possible, and 
and just being able to tap into those uh, those resources, those networks, and those um, opportunities uh, is life changing. And it's a, it's amazing how much that your organization is doing that I know for a fact a lot of uh, K twelve practitioners are not as familiar with it. But so how can they get involved? Like how can how can um, others you get know, more involved? Let's talk about why that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at public school districts and the communities mm-hmm. that they're in, generally speaking, they tend to be the 800-pound gorilla in their communities. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to be the largest employers pretty consistently across the country. So the school district itself, and I know you know this and other mm-hmm. educators know this, you can live your entire life within that school district and just mm-hmm. school district programs mm-hmm. and not really be aware of – other influences or parts of the community at all and have a a great career and great life and, you know, help a lot of people. So it's, it's because there's such large systems, oftentimes it's, it's difficult to know what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, and I know you know this as well, is that because the accountability ends in 12th grade, Mm -hmm. there's really not any way for a school district to know what happens to its students once they leave. That's true. They don't measure it, usually. They don't, don't. One of my suspicions is it's really so depressing, I'm not sure they want to. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's because the fate of so many students is really not the one you hope for mm-hmm. when they start that system. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there is a disconnect and, you know, the organizations are out there and they're mm-hmm. doing the work. Um, so I, I'm glad we're talking about this mm-hmm. so that more people can learn about it. That's um, true. And reach out to communities. Yeah. We definitely need to um, connect more to our networks within our communities. I think as an educator, it's very easy, like you said, to, to sort of be siloed into your own space. Um, and then you have other departments within the school district that may uh-huh. gain access to that information. But how much does it permeate the whole district and the whole system and neighborhood is the key. And, you know, that I, I've seen some districts, actually, uh, you mentioned about the, the accountability stopping at, at 12th grade. I, I recently uh, was talking with the superintendent in, um, in Spring Branch and uh, uh-huh. ISD uh, near Houston. And the interesting thing is, he sort of took a totally different approach. He decided to, uh, as Dr. Murray, Dr. Scott Murray, he decided to actually look at a six-year cohort after graduation as a true indication of the success of their organization. So literally, he wanted to see in six years after you leave us, what happened? And uh, and, and the struggle for trying, you know, trying to get that information but they are they're coming up with all new kinds of metrics to be able to to really look at it and they say you know graduation yeah okay we that's that's great we all we all know that's what we're supposed to do but let's look at what happens when they leave us as an indicator of how well we're accomplishing our mission and our vision and uh it's amazing i would love for the state to help with that and we can find more ways to be able to to track that data because it would be impactful I think we would have different initiatives as we look forward yeah. to um, to using that as a way to measure our, our success. We, we all pay attention to what we're measured 
with. And in fact, I just heard um, Commissioner Morath and um, Dallas Regional Chamber actually brought him in to speak about the state of public education. Mm -hmm. And actually, the state of Texas is considering adding um, uh, some different uh, accountability measures uh, concerning post-high school, Mm post-secondary achievement, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically enrollment. They obviously didn't keep track of enrollment in any of the public or private colleges in the state mm-hmm. of Texas because those are reported to the state and they can track, continue to track the students. So that is being discussed on a state level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think most researchers know that the National Student Clearinghouse really pretty much accounts for 97% of the roughly 4,000 colleges that exist in this country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're already tracking the data on where students are. And in the Dallas ISD, we contracted with with them um, Mm -hmm. on an annual basis to receive data twice a year on uh, where our students were, at least in the um, the formal education system. Mm -hmm. And that that includes community colleges, um, public colleges, private colleges. Uh, it's and workforce data is available if you have um, a social security number for the student that you're tracking, mm-hmm. um, and there are systems that are that are able to be uh, connected to public school districts to show where those students are actually in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Definitely one that uh, we need to bring more awareness to. But so. So tell me a little bit more about how to get more involved or connected with Lyft. I know that you you have your your courses and you sort of connect with other institutions and you have business partners. But um, is there a way for educators, uh, volunteers, others to get involved? In this country, we if a child can learn to read, why can't I learn to read? Well, again, as we said at the beginning, learning to read is not a simple thing. There's a lot of different parts of your brain that are being used to process what you're reading, to be able to picture what you're reading, to be able to talk about what you're reading. Although those communication skills really require a lot of skill, a lot of skill development and brain activity. So, but they don't know that. They mm-hmm. know if a kid can read and I can't, obviously I'm stupid. I can't mm-hmm. do it. And that just isn't, it isn't true. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, because that message was delivered at such a young age to them by so many people, it's just disastrous. Um, mm-hmm. We hear that in adult education. I bet I hear that story every single day. Yeah. Um, someone. Yes, which really kind of gets to sort of my whole theme of my my podcast is really about yeah. you know being purpose driven and, and serving others and really seeing what what drives them and motivates them. And you know, it's funny. And in, in many of the conversations I've had with educators, they've talked about um, experiences like that where you know they were told one thing or believed one thing, and uh, it wasn't until they had a helpful hand or some other uh, resource or, or teacher to, to really um, show them uh, a different way to, to help them to believe in themselves. And I think your, your uh, organization is doing wonders for people uh, just being able to believe in themselves and to, to achieve more than what they thought they could. It is. It's actually, I love our students. I, I literally, I love them. They are, You know, first of all, any adult who's working two or three jobs who is motivated enough to finish their GED or, you know, learn to read better or learn math better, 
who is going to make the time, say, from 6.30 to 8.30, two nights a week, when it's cold and rainy outside or whatever, really nice outside, and they could be enjoying themselves. I mean, they deserve all the support we can provide to them. Mm -hmm. They are my heroes. They really are. And honestly, our students inspire me more than I think any of us inspire them in Mm -hmm. in many ways. Um, Mm -hmm. So that there's just, it's why it's wonderful to be a volunteer and our volunteers are wonderful people, but they get so much out of just being so motivated and inspired by the adults that we serve. They are incredible Mm -hmm. human beings. And just the ability to support them and serve them and, um, and help, you know, just be that, handing them that baton that they need to get to the next, next stage, um, is, is incredibly fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've, you know, Jeff, I think we talked about this at some points, um, in conversations we had years ago, but because in the Dallas ISD, I did a lot of uh, data analysis of students once they had left the system uh, through several uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation grants that we received. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to work with Stanford and the University of Chicago and Johns Hopkins and Brown researchers on that level. We actually knew where a lot of our students were, at, at least if they were in the um, post-secondary education world. Mm-hmm. But every year when roughly 7,000 to 7,500 students graduated, I knew we were not going to be able to find about 40% of them for various reasons. And I just, every June, I would feel haunted Hmm. by the fact that we, they were there for so long and we still weren't able to serve them well. Mm -hmm. And it took me about a month of being at Lyft before I realized, oh, these are the people that I've been worried about for all those years. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's like, that's why I say I feel like I'm still working in the school district, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, kind of an extension of it, really, um, just to be that next chance that, you know, that they just never got while they were, why were they were there Mm -hmm. for a wide variety of reasons. There's not just one reason that that happens. There's a lot of different reasons that that happens. Well, you sort of, uh, you sort of addressed what I was going to ask you next was, uh, was about your motivation. You know, why do you, why do you feel so passionate about, uh, this work? And I, and I, knowing you, um, in the years I've known you, you are someone that follows your passion. You definitely, um, seem to really uh, give your all for the efforts that you're involved in. And I think you really believe in those efforts. So, it's it's interesting to see you uh, work with an organization like Lyft, and um, I know you'd bring great brain power and resources to the role. But what motivates you to to do this work? <laughs> um, it really brings tears to my eyes. Um, I think when we talk about motivation, I think it's really important for every adult to take the time that they need to understand why they believe they're here in this world. Um, and what they believe the, they should be doing in this world. Um, it's worthy of you know, very serious consideration, and along with how are you going to do that work in this world? What are your values that you're going to carry forward, and how, how are they going to influence the way you treat other people? Um, so there's, there's two parts to it. Um, for me, the answer is, I believe clearly we're here on this earth to help other people, that we're here to make 
this a better place for as many people as we can possibly reach? I'm, to me, that's what mm-hmm. I think the point of life is. That's my own personal belief. Mm-hmm. Whatever I can do, whether it's within a district, whether it's within an organization like Lyft, whether it's, you know, as a volunteer for some place, I'm going to be driven by that because that to me is what I've discerned to be why I'm here. Um, and then the values that we seek, uh, the values that we try to live by, um, really influence how we do that. So for me, integrity is really important and integrity is a lot of different things. It's, you know, telling doing what you say you're going to do. It is never a state you ever attain. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. always a goal uh, because we're human. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, every time I even have a negative thought, I'm like, am I really acting in integrity? My mm-hmm. thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just a continuous kind of set of questions that you ask yourself. Um, but respect is another one. You know, mm-hmm. to me, every single human being is valuable and every single human being has, you know, a set of, um, it's not just stories, but an essence and a set of stories and, mm-hmm. you know, a whole life to them that you just want to appreciate, respect, and every interaction with another human being allows you to share in that that mm-hmm. they have as well. So, I mean, there's there's mutual value to respect. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are, I have others, but those are two really important ones. So I think mm-hmm. that it's, you know, if someone's been doing something because... Um, they have, it hasn't had the ability to reflect on it. Or maybe, you know, if they're younger, it doesn't really matter what age you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it, it's just important. I mean, you know, as Aristotle, I believe it was, who said, you know, uh, unexamined life is not worth living. And mm-hmm. I probably botched that quote. Sorry, I should know. High <laughs> school education. But, um, it's, you know, we have to examine our lives and mm-hmm. reflect on those things. And I think that the clearer you are about that, the clearer mm-hmm. it is that you're able to do what it is that you've committed yourself to. Well, that does it for another episode of the Purpose Driven Educator. You can reach me on Twitter at Dr. Jeff Miller, that's Dr. Jeff Miller, or you can definitely get more information. Uh, about this episode uh, on the PurposeDrivenEducator.com. That's a website for the show. We have uh, useful links and other tidbits there for you to review. Also, we have articles that you may be interested in on education. So feel free to join us on PurposeDrivenEducator.com. Once again, until next time, stay driven.